Right now, let's say good morning to Dan Riskin, our science expert. It's time for Test Tube Thursday. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. So what's happening with our uh, gravitation later today? Oh, yeah. Well, if you uh, if you are excited by gravitational waves, and I know... Always, always. I mean, everybody... Uh, gravitational waves are such a big deal, and they're so exciting. So it, until 2016, everything we knew about the world, the universe, came through our eyes. We used telescopes that looked at electromagnetic radiation, and we saw things, or if we couldn't see it with the wavelengths we use our eyeballs for, we used infrared. But all of it was looking through telescopes, the same sort of like... It was all about vision. And now, starting in 2016, we figured out how to sense the vibrations of the time-space continuum, and we started detecting gravitational waves. And so when two black holes came together, it would make this like, wow, and it would shake the whole universe like Superman punching a wall really hard so that this shock wave goes out. And we could detect that with these crazy sensors that were like four kilometers long. And it was a big thing and everybody got excited. I was very, very excited. Um, this is a new paper coming out today, which is showing uh, gravitational waves on a different frequency. So, so the gravitational waves gave us a way to hear the universe as opposed to seeing it which is what we've been doing until 2016 and the hearing that we've been doing was frequencies of basically 5 hertz to 20,000 hertz in other words the vibrations were several times a second as the universe shook from these collisions this big announcement today is that they've tuned the frequency to very very low frequencies so that it's not wiggling quickly but it's these slow movements of the universe that occur because of supermassive of black holes bumping into each other and they're picking those up and instead of using a detector that's four kilometers long they're they're basically looking at at uh, pulsars these faraway stars and using those as detectors and and anyway the, the whole thing is very cool and it, basically what this means is that everything's moving with this low like rumbling wobble of this space-time continuum and they're detecting it now so so it's it, the whole i don't know i just i i think it's great yeah okay well i love that you are boyishly excited about things that are as complicated as is. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's just cool that we can hear the universe now. I mean, like for the entire existence of humanity, we've been looking at the stars, and then we built detectors to look at them better. But then in 2016, we started hearing what's happening, and and we, it's all based on Einstein's calculations. And it's just like a fundamentally really big shift in the way we observe the universe. And so the fact that we're doing new things with that technology and that method of listening to the universe is just really cool, and is something that is nobody's ever done until our time on on the planet. I, I just love it. Okay, so new research suggests that uh, people used to eat people? Yeah, aren't we nice? Yeah. So this is from uh, human shin bone from 1.45 million years ago, and uh, they just had a careful look at it and noticed these little notches, and uh, they tried to figure out if these little notches in the shin bone. So this is something, it might be Homo erectus. They don't know for sure. It might be Homo sapiens. It might be Homo erectus. They don't know, but it's it's a it's a human. But it's it just might not be like us us. It might be a cousin. Okay. But it's it's one and a half million years old, and it's got these little notches in it. And they compared it to a database of other notches. And sometimes a bone gets notches on it because a carnivore chews on it or whatever. But humans have a real tendency around that time to 
kill things and then eat their meat. And when they take the meat off of them, they use a some kind of sharp tool to cut the meat away from the bone. And you find that on mammoths and you find it on all the other stuff that they eat. This is, oh my gosh, we found it on a human. So clearly this human, after they died, had the meat taken off of their shin. Uh, and so the question is why? Was this uh, a war or something done between warring factions of humans or more likely is it just that humans were eating humans? And so uh, there are just nine of these notches on the bone, but they're very, very exciting notches. Yeah, I guess so. But you have to think, I mean, was there not available cattle? Yeah, well, sure. Yeah. Well, like, what is the, but, but eating your victims after a big battle is a big thing in some cultures, not anymore as much, but, uh, but certainly in the past it was. And uh, it's also quite possible that protein's protein. And maybe there wasn't any kind of stigma around that. Like, you know, cousin Larry died, but I'm hungry, you know, who knows? All right, let's keep moving. It's breakfast time. Um, How long is champagne good for? And does the size of the bottle matter? Yes. You know what? If I had a nickel for every time a scientific paper says size does matter in the title, I would be a rich man because size is really important to a whole bunch of things in biology and physics and engineering. And people always, what always ends up happening is somebody says, oh, I have a title. Nobody's ever thought of this before. And they write it. And then there are like just tens of thousands of papers with size does matter in the title. This is a paper about champagne with the words size does matter in the title. And what it shows is that the bigger the bottle, the better it holds onto its carbon dioxide. So with champagne, it's just like normal wine. It ferments and it produces alcohol and you're done. But then with champagne, what's different compared to wine is that you add more sugar and more yeast after it's finished that process and then you seal it up. And then that second fermentation happens and all this carbon dioxide gets produced. You have to do it just right to get the carbon dioxide to for there to be enough of it, but not to explode the bottle. And it dissolves into the, uh, into the liquid liquid and it sits there and after that that happens it kills off the yeast and then it sits there and it ferments and it gets more flavorful and there's this magic like window of time where it's getting better and better and better but if you leave it for too long that carbon dioxide just leaks very very slowly out of the cap and so you don't want to leave it for too long and so they did a bunch of experiments opening old bottles of champagne and measuring how much carbon dioxide was in them and what they found is that uh, if you have a normal wine bottle sized uh, champagne so 750 mils uh, or 25 ounces whatever you want to call that 75 centiliters um, uh, that's 40 years is how long the champagne is good for really if you if you double the size it's good for 82 years Okay. And then if you have a three liter bottle of champagne, which is double that, uh, it's good for 132 years. So probably better if you're hitting the LCBO to get the giant, huge, like, you know, Pee Wee Herman sized bottle of champagne, just in case you don't get to it for 132 years, you want to make sure that it stays good. Interesting because I, you know, grew up in one of those houses where you held on to a bottle of champagne that you were gifted and because you had to wait for some special occasion. And I discovered over the years that it doesn't actually last, you know, a bottle of Veuve Clicquot can be kind of a clunker if you open it up a year later, but you're saying it's good until I'm dead. Well, it's at least got the carbon dioxide. I don't know about the flavor. So it might be that the the other parts of the taste evolve in different ways. This was just about the carbon dioxide. Um, But yeah, it'll still be bubbly if you wait that long. All right. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. Thank you. Enjoy your champagne. Thank you very much. And actually, it was funny because my parents 
evolved over the years. And they got to the point where I would, uh, you probably remember if you've been with us for the long haul, I used to go see my parents about once a month. I'd go to Montreal and we'd have dinner together on Friday. And then Saturday we'd go to the market, Atwater Market, and then I'd cook for them and all that stuff. But I would show up on a Friday and they would be breaking out the champagne. I say, what the heck ever happened here? And my mother said, we do it because we can. <laughs> 